Today on Onward to Victory, discover the origins of the Victory March, Notre Dame's tantalizing fight song. From humble on-campus origins to a national sensation, this is Onward to Victory. fans and we are rolling welcome to onward to victory a notre dame football podcast i am your host alex painter welcome to episode 31 of this humble fighting irish podcast thank you so much for electing to join me here today wherever it is that you are joining me here from I am immensely proud of the fact that we have had listeners from 43 different states and 21 different countries tune into the show, a true testament to the reach of our beloved Fighting Irish and also the wonderful nature of the modern internet, which can allow a single humble podcast to reach so many people. So thank you all. Before we jump in with two feet, don't forget to subscribe to the show through whatever platform you prefer to listen. That will, of course, ensure that you are getting alerted to all the new episodes, such as the last one, which was the official 2020 season preview episode. And yes, we are a couple games in, but rest assured, it can still be enjoyed. And from the number of listens, it looked like many of you did truly enjoy it. So thank you so much for that. Speaking of thank yous, a special thank you to the Onward to Victory Consensus All-American Squad. Those are the folks who support the show from a financial standpoint and not just keep it on the air, but also advertisement free for all of us to enjoy and ever expanding and ever growing. If you want to find out how to donate and get some complimentary show merchandise, I'll tell you here in about 30 seconds. But a quick note, the Consensus All-Americans are truly the real MVPs in the room, so to speak. And they include the following. Michael Finan of Rutherford, New Jersey, Brad Glazer of Williamsburg, Indiana, those two who are among the most fervent supporters of the show. Thank you so much. And a trio of siblings in Adam, Weston, and Colton Painter. Adam and Weston hail from Fort Wayne, Indiana, and both actually have newborn babies at home, born less than a week apart. So congratulations, fellas. And Colton calls Cleveland, Ohio home. So no worries, I will actually gush more about these folks in the show wrap-up as well. But please consider joining these loyal sons in support of the show by visiting paypal.me slash onwardtovictory for a one-time donation. Or if you want to donate a set certain amount per month, visit patreon.com slash onwardtovictorypodcast. I hope you all know that any support is greatly appreciated and 100% goes back into the show. A $15 donation to the show will sponsor a couple episodes and get your name called out as a Consensus All-American over the air. You will also receive the latest show merch. So currently some show-branded can koozies 
and the world-famous William Corby Coasters. You know him as Fair Catch Corby. But I will be making a video announcement on the Facebook page about a contest soon and where you might be able to just win some more cool stuff. So, man, be on the lookout. So, on with the show. If you're here right now, there is approximately a 100% chance that this is a song you are familiar with. Yes, Irish fans, the greatest of all college fight songs, the Notre Dame Victory March. It's that one that cuts right through the crisp autumn air of northern Indiana after every single fighting Irish touchdown. It's the song that galvanizes a legion of fans across the entire country and has become the auditory vehicle of Notre Dame's spirit and mystique while becoming, as Notre Dame historian Murray Sperber once wrote, a cultural artifact. So would you believe me if I told you that the Victory March has been ranked by historians as the fourth most recognizable song of any kind in American history? Trailing only, get a load of this, the Star Spangled Banner, Happy Birthday, and the Irving Berlin holiday staple, White Christmas. This was a sentiment echoed by the late college football commentator, Bino Cook. So Michael Collins, a former writer at Bleacher Report, attempted fairly well, I would add, to capture the allure of the Victory March writing in 2010 that, quote, to millions of Americans, the Victory March is a powerful touchstone that has resonated deeply among families and over generations. The Irish in South Boston, immigrant families in the neighborhoods of New York, steelworkers in Pittsburgh, big-shouldered Chicagoans, and schools and football programs throughout the nation have adopted the song. The Victory March unites families and generations with a university many have never visited, end quote. But where did the song come from? Surely the origins of the song must match the pomp and circumstance of its fame and clearly widespread recognition. Well, you may be surprised. This is Sing Her Glory. The origins of the Victory March, right after this. All right, and as we traditionally do around here, and frankly love to do around here, let's start at the beginning. On November 23, 1887, the first game of Notre Dame football was played. Well, truthfully, it was a bit more of a demonstration than an actual game. The University of Michigan, who had been playing football on campus since 1879, actually came to South Bend by train to show the men of Notre Dame kind of the ropes of the sport before a scrimmage was conducted. The game in which the university would soon be inexorably connected with got off to a bit of a slow start, with the post-game recap reading, quote, The grounds were in very poor condition for playing, 
being covered with snow in a melting condition, and the players could scarcely keep their feet. Some time had been spent in preliminary practice. The game began, and after rolling and tumbling in the mud for half an hour, time was finally called, the score standing 8-0 in favor of the University of Michigan, end quote. For what it's worth, somewhere between four and 500 students observed the spectacle, and then all parties retreated to the dining hall for a post-game meal. Though the first few games may not have been pretty, football continued to slowly gain popularity on the Notre Dame campus. By the late 1890s, though the sport was still largely a student-driven activity, the program began scheduling much larger schools, such as Purdue, Indiana, and National Powerhouse, the University of Chicago, to their docket of games. In 1899, Notre Dame, en route to a 6-3-1 season, actually beat Indiana, Northwestern, and tied Purdue. I suppose what I'm getting at here is that Notre Dame's culture was seemingly bending more and more athletic with each passing year. At least that was the experience of a pair of brothers from Holyoke, Massachusetts, named John and Michael Shayhad. The Shea brothers, class of 1905 and 1906 respectively, would have been able to take in firsthand the football exploits of Irish fullback Lewis Salmon, also known as Red, who was perhaps the first star football player of the Notre Dame football team. Sidebar, Salmon is a guy who is going to get an episode to himself one of these days. But the Shea boys were huge proponents of Notre Dame athletics. In fact, Michael wrote for the school newspaper, The Scholastic, in 1906, an article called Athletics as a Factor in College Education, which ended with the following excerpt, quote, Athletics is inbred in the American youth. It gives zest to the college atmosphere. It is one of the closest bonds, one of the dearest ties, between the college student and his alma mater. End quote. I don't think it is possible for Michael to have written more prophetic words for what he was about to accomplish. Seriously, though, keep this one in your mind when he wrote about athletics giving, quote, zest to the college atmosphere, end quote. Just keep that one in mind. So John, the other brother, though he didn't play football, was on the Notre Dame baseball team hitting 234 his junior year while playing a very formidable brand of shortstop. In fact, the Scholastic wrote that, quote, as a hitter, Shea is only ordinary, but his wonderful fielding more than makes up for his deficiency with the stick, end quote. He was elected, elected captain of the team for both his junior and his senior year. So these brothers, filled with the Notre Dame spirit, and in the case of younger brother Michael, he actually stayed at Notre Dame to teach music to the undergraduates while entering the priesthood. The elder brother, John, also stayed at Notre Dame, also for an advanced degree in history. The brothers continued to be huge Notre Dame football boosters. 
So in 1908, the brothers made trips to both Indianapolis and Ann Arbor to watch Notre Dame square off against Indiana and Michigan, respectively. According to John's recall of the events, he and Michael discussed how the Notre Dame fans really lacked something in the stands. This was particularly due to the Michigan band's playing of their famous fight song, The Victors, over and over again to both pump up the football team and also galvanize the spectators in the stands. After a lengthy discussion, the brothers decided that the issue was that the burgeoning Notre Dame football program had no song to call their own, and they resolved to fix that issue once they returned to campus. According to a 1959 press release, John asked his brother, Say, why can't we get a song together for Notre Dame? Michael, the much more musically inclined of the two, responded, I've got a tune running through my head. I'll see you in a few days and we will get to work on it. So Michael was to come up with the melody, John the lyrics, and they did just that. The brothers, with Michael sitting at a piano and John nearby with a pencil and paper, huddled in the reading room of Soren Hall and began work. Of course, Soren Hall, which is named for Notre Dame's founder, Edward Soren, was built in 1888 and can still be seen on campus today. So on your next trip to campus, find Soren Hall directly adjacent to the Basilica of the Sacred Heart. Michael sat at the piano and plucked at the keys, playing the melody that was running through his head over and over again for his brother. Something like this. Dun, 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 dun. After hearing it over and over again, John retreated to his room to finish the lyrics. And according to John, before lights out, on that very first day of collaboration, which was 11 p.m., he had finished the lyrics. It is more than likely, as Notre Dame historian Murray Sperber notes, that Michael also helped significantly contribute to the lyrics. So when they returned to the reading room the following day, ready to put their music and words together for the very first time. They found the space to be occupied by another group of students. Not to be deterred, Michael led John to one of the lofts in the basilica, where an organ rested. Almost as something of an omen, the first time the words and music to the Notre Dame Victory March were paired, it would not be on a quaint piano in the music room of a residence hall, but a mighty organ in one of the grandest, most symbolic cathedrals in the entire country. Contrary to what you may think or what you might be commonly believed, the song wasn't an instant smash hit. It was, with the simple piano arrangement and lyrics, copyrighted in 1908, though. Michael returned home to Holyoke, Massachusetts, and played the song at a local church, the Second Congregational Church for what it's worth, for one of his former piano teachers, a certain Mr. Hammond. Hammond loved the tune and encouraged Michael to play it more often. 
So fast forward to the Easter Sunday of the following year, April 11th, 1909. According to the same 1959 press release from the school, this was the first time the song was played publicly for an audience, very appropriately in the rotunda of the administration building, also known as the Golden Dome. It's in this sense that every time you watch, whether in person or a video on the internet, the famous Irish tradition of trumpets in the dome, you're really seeing a tradition that truly dates back to the first time that most iconic of fight songs was played. So the song slowly gained acceptance across campus and was reputedly even used as a song for the World War I doughboys to march to. And if you kind of echo that melody in your mind, the slower one that was originally played by the Shea brothers at the piano, and you can kind of see where it's kind of set up as a cadence, which would be very conducive to marching. And the song was initially fairly popular due to the ragtime nature it boasted in that early form, which was a genre of music that was incredibly popular at the time. So that changed in the 1920s. At the time, the Notre Dame band director was a gentleman by the name of Joseph Casasanta, again, who was actually the band director while he was reportedly the first student to earn a Bachelor of Music from the university. So he began as the band director again as a student in 1919. So I'd like to think that Casasanta, at the behest of the head football coach, who also happened to play the flute in the band during his time as a student. So yes, folks, Knut Rockney played the flute in the band, in addition to playing on the football team, was asked to arrange the song to make it less of a ragtime ditty and more of a full orchestration experience, more of an athletic anthem. And that is exactly what Casa Santa did. Casa Santa's version is still the one played by the band today and still sung by the Glee Club. In a 1930 issue of the Scholastic, Father Michael Shea, remember he went into the priesthood, said that, quote, Ten years after my ordination, I heard the victory march for the first time while on a visit to Notre Dame. How it came to its present exalted condition, I do not know. The coming of Mr. Casasanta was evidently the realization of our hopes, and to him I express my hearty appreciation of a good work admirably done for the best university in the land, end quote. And when Father Shea was talking about our hopes, it was actually dovetailing back to the original intent that Michael and John had that the song would merely inspire someone or a group of students to come after them and write something better. So again, though the Shea brothers wrote the song, it was Casasanta's contributions which made it a, an, a sensation. And the tune soon became synonymous with Rockney's breathtakingly skilled Notre Dame teams. 
the victory march paired with that indelible image we have all seen of the four horsemen and the charismatic self-promotion of Rockney, Notre Dame was on the map. And Notre Dame, well, they were on the map for good. In 1940, after years of failing health, Father Michael Shea died in New York at age 56. He is actually buried in the Holy Cross Cemetery on Notre Dame's campus. Well, just in case you're kind of like me and you like to visit cemeteries. So it is of note that both Father William Corby and Notre Dame founder Father Edward Soren are both in Holy Cross as well. Anyway, the song persevered. During World War II, an army captain and alumni of Notre Dame wrote president, university president, Father Hugh O'Donnell, saying that, quote, Father, the big offensive toward Rome will begin soon. American and British troops are lined up side by side. And while tomorrow guns will be exploding, tonight the bands are playing. And I thought you'd like to know, Father, that they're not playing God Save the King, not the Star-Spangled Banner, but the Notre Dame Victory March." End quote. In 1965, John Shea died at age 83. And so by the time he died, the legacy of the Victory March had already well been cemented. And as we all know, the song is still widely played today. And not just in South Bend on Saturdays. Countless high schools play the song under the Friday Night Lights or their own fight songs have been adapted to the tune of the Victory March. The song routinely tops the, quote, top college fight songs list. And yes, typically edging out the University of Michigan's The Victors, which was the inspiration for the original song, and which is where this whole story starts. So what do I say? Very simply this. Cheer. Cheer for old Notre Dame. Wake up the echoes, cheering her name. Send a volley cheer on high. Shake down the thunder from the sky. What though the odds be great or small, old Notre Dame will win over all. While her loyal sons are marching, onward to victory. And I'll be right back. All right, I gotta admit, that one was a lot of fun to put together and research. Some of these, I'll be honest, are more fun than others, and... This one was a downright pleasure, sincerely. I mean, everyone knows that song, and if you're listening to this right now, the odds are strong that you enjoy it. It's catchy. It's iconic. I mean, it's the fighting Irish. So if you enjoyed that, and hopefully you did, if you're still listening at this point, don't hesitate to, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button from whatever platform you are listening from. That is truly one of the live streams of the show. Uh, just that way, if you enjoy this again, just be alerted that you new episodes, you can come back and listen to another one, the brand new one if you so choose. 
So if you dig the show again, you can find me on Apple Podcasts. So if you have an iPhone, just click that purple podcast icon. I'm on Spotify, CastBox, as well as Podbean at onwardtovictory.podbean.com. So again, please like, subscribe, do whatever it is that you got to do. Um, I know I'm sounding like a broken record on that. But in other news, there will be a contest of some kind here very soon. We got to have some fun for the football season after all. So thanks to the generosity of the Consensus All-Americans, some pretty neat and unique prizes were acquired for participants and winners, uh, including some from our dear friends at Augie's Locker Room up in South Bend. So don't miss it. It's going to be really easy. I just want people to participate and get involved and get engaged. So again, jump over to the Facebook page. Uh, Some details are forthcoming. So speaking of, please interact with the show on the Facebook page at facebook.com slash onward to victory. We have a lot of new members on the Facebook page. So again, welcome to all of you. And if you haven't already, please feel free, anyone, to make your voice heard on that platform. And speaking of that platform, something really exciting since the season started is the advent of initiative I am calling, very inventively, Onward to Victory TV. Now, I've done video in the past, but it hasn't really been very consistent or formatted for that matter. So this is actually going to feature game recaps, statistics, uh, analysis, and again, it's all video, all in video form, pardon me, on the Facebook page. So though I think and know that being in touch with Notre Dame history and all that is central to the fandom, I, like most of you, I'm sure, I'm also a fervent supporter of the current edition of the Irish, and that is mostly what the videos are dealing with. So again, I've done some video in the past, but I'm trying to make it a little bit more consistent and a little bit more formatted. So again, just another reason that if you were on uh, of the Facebook persuasion, please give the page a good old-fashioned like and follow. And if you want to send an email, I'm on email as well. Onward to Victory Podcast at gmail.com. Don't hesitate to sound off there as well. Now, again, as promised, just to gush about these guys a little bit more. If you would like to name yourself to the Onward to Victory Consensus All-American list and join loyal sons Brad, Michael, Adam, Weston, or Colton, first of all, again, I cannot thank these guys enough. They are the absolute reason this show is still on the air. And I hope all five of you profoundly enjoy it. I I sincerely do. So thank you again. And if you'd like to join those five, become a loyal son or daughter, so to speak, again, you can do so very simply. A $15 donation to the show will make you an episode sponsor and have your name called out as a consensus All-American over the air. And you'll also receive the latest show swag. So currently some canned koozies and again, the world famous Father William Corby coasters for this football season trying to take care of those beverages so you can donate again at paypal.me slash onward to victory for a one-time donation or again if you want to donate just a certain set amount per month please visit patreon.com slash onward to victory podcast i hope you all know that first of all it is so greatly appreciated and that 100 percent goes back into the show all right, as always, thank you to Joseph Rakish, who allows the show to use his song, Knut Rockney, as the theme song. If you 
kind of heard it and you're like, where do I find it? Well, you can find it very easily. Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, doesn't matter. Give it a spin. Add it to your pregame playlist. Add it to your driving to work playlist. I heard, I found that it's uh, it works very well as you're trying to get yourself pepped up to go to work in the morning. So, <clears throat> finally, before I sign off, I have to tell you all something. Uh, this show started in June of 2019, and I know some of you have been here since then. So, golly, I appreciate that. But perhaps some of you have listened to the first episode in show history about quarterback Angelo Bertelli and his experience as both a Heisman Trophy winner at Notre Dame and on the front lines at Iwo Jima during World War II. It was aptly titled a Heisman at Iwo Jima. Anyways, that month, after plugging away and just incessantly promoting that that particular episode, 33 people listened to it. Honestly, I couldn't have been happier either. Uh, I worked pretty damn hard on that episode, and I really didn't have a clue what I was doing. I was very new at this, and as I go back and listen to it again, it's very obvious that I was very new at this. But it did seem like people who I don't know, weren't even family members were giving it a listen and enjoying it. But I only bring that up and bring up the, how many people listened to it, because here we are uh, about 15 months later, and the show is wrapping up as we speak, episode 31. And we are within a stone's throw of 4,000 listens as a show. So sincerely, I cannot thank you enough. And going back through all the episodes, there's truly things to be proud of. And honestly, again, I only bring it up because uh, if there weren't people listening to it or people even kindly donating money to the show... Uh, this this thing would have gone defunct a long time ago. Um, but however, the catalog is getting really impressive and hopefully really profound. And again, I can't thank you all enough. All right, so what's in the hopper? Well, I guess you can scratch off the Victory March episode off the list. That has been one that I've been teasing actually for oh, a couple months actually at this point. And hopefully, as you know, if I, st- if I tease an episode, eventually it might not be the next episode, but I will eventually get to it. And so the origins of the Victory March is one that I, man, even in the early parts of the summer, I was kind of promoting like this is going to be coming at some point. It's coming. So what's in the hopper moving forward? Well, that George Gibbs Centennial episode is coming. I promise you that. I want it to be really good and really breathtaking. And honestly, if you're a fan of the show, you know I love George Gipp and I am I am going to do this guy right. Um, so I'm also planning a podcast episode in conjunction with something of an event for the Onward to Victory TV initiative, as I mentioned, about our buddy, the charming rogue, George Gipp himself. I'm going to try to find a way to go blow by blow with his legendary 1920 season. So more on that soon. Now, after reading Chet Grant, who was uh, an early Notre Dame historian, probably the first Notre Dame football historian, about he wrote a book, I believe it was in the 70s, about what it was like uh, at Notre Dame and football before Rockney. So that's where I kind of got on board with this episode about uh, Lewis Salmon. Again, better known as Red due to the, the flume of red hair coming off his head. But man, this guy, 
deserves some spotlight, and it's coming. In fact, I might just do a Heroes of the 19th Century and Early 20th Century episode. Guys that nobody has heard of, and I mean nobody. You know, you have to be an like a diehard to even just be vaguely familiar with some of these names. And some of them were so good. But, you know, in the early 1910s, Rockne arrives and, and becomes a sensation on the gridiron. And then that, of course, gives way to him becoming head coach and Gipper, Four Horsemen, Frank Leahy, Angelo Bertelli, Era Parsige, and Joe Montana. And the rest, as they say, is history. There is this, like, really, really interesting foundational block to Notre Dame football that I am ready to blow the complete top off of. Uh, I There's, like, probably four or five guys that I'm like, man, if we just group these guys as like unsung heroes of Notre Dame football into an episode. I think that would be incredibly interesting and really, really informative. So if you are interested in that kind of episode, let me know. Uh, I will I will absolutely do the thing if, if I know that people are going to be interested in it. So let me know. Would you like a early Irish heroes? I mean, of course, this would be well before the team was known as the Fighting Irish feel free to let me know. But again, that kind of spurred off of uh, the Chet Grant book, but also wanting to do a, a Lewis Salmon episode. So again, he deserves some spotlight, and it is coming. So again, just to plug it one more time, jump over to the Facebook page and check into the contest as well. It is going to be really, really easy to participate and hopefully really, really fun. So check into the contest. And I guess that will sign me off here. This has been Onward to Victory, a Notre Dame football podcast. And in kindness, I am your host, Alex Painter. Let's cue that victory march one final time. And as always, go Irish!